This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with CEO of FJ Management, Inc., including the Maverick Convenience Gas Station store chain, Crystal Call Magalit. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high-performance business coach, where each and every single week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. In this episode, Crystal Call Magalit, CEO of FJ Management and a graduate of Pepperdine University with an MBA from Harvard, shares her life and fascinating business journey that includes being named the National E&Y Entrepreneur of the Year for Family Business in 2018, serving on the Live Communities Board, Intermountain Healthcare Board, Salt Lake City, Utah Committee for the Olympic Games, and the Zions Bank Advisory Board. And if this is not enough, Crystal is not only a brilliant and extremely admired business executive, but she is a shining example of how to climb to the top of any profession through service before self giving us the inside glimpse into how she balances her life as a proud and amazing mother of four children while managing the family's charitable giving through the Call Foundation, co-chairing the Intermountain Healthcare Primary Promise Campaign, and serving as a member of the Sundance Institute Utah Leadership Council. You definitely don't want to miss this episode with Crystal Call Magalit. I stand with power players, obviously with Dan Clark. It seems like almost every episode I brag on the significance of the conversation that I will have, that I'm going to have with the guest. But today is such an extraordinary experience because I'm such a fan of women in business. And when I had an opportunity to speak to 3,500 women in military uniform in Washington, D.C. at the very first Uh, women's military symposium and I was the keynote speaker and the only gentleman in the room I singled out one of my dear friends one of my heroes three-star Air Force General Maggie Woodward and in front of her colleagues I said Maggie Woodward with all due respect is the finest female general officer in the entire United States military and she interrupted my speech she said Danny so I knew I was in trouble she said Danny I'm not a female general officer. I'm a general officer who happens to be a female, and don't you ever forget it. And I said, yes, ma'am. And that completely opened my eyes to the significance of putting our emphasis on qualifications, on education, on training, on personality, on integrity, service before self, a commitment to excellence in all we do. And so my guest today is the amazing, the talented, the brilliant, smart, ay ay ay, Crystal Call Magalit, who happens to be the CEO of Maverick Stores. And well, actually, I have to correct that. That's FJ, good. I knew FJ you were going to. Oh, sorry. Whoa, whoa, whoa. FJ Management. That's right. Who has wholly owned subsidiaries, including. There you go. Maverick, which my husband is CEO. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Maverick and Big West Oil. 
and uh, we'll get into those in the, obviously, the official introduction. But because of her undergraduate degree coming from Pepperdine University, which is one of my favorite places, Malibu, and getting an MBA from Harvard Business School, Crystal brings to the, to the fight, brings to the daily schedule of a CEO of a leader in business uh, so many different sides to decision-making and, uh, and just life in general. So let's just start where you grew up, how you grew up, and how did you get this entrepreneurial spirit and self-confidence that you could do anything regardless if you were a male or a female? You know, I think that has a lot to do with how I was brought up because my dad started our family business, Flying J, in 1968. I was born in 1964. And so from day one of my life and all I ever saw was an entrepreneurial father. I didn't know what it was like for someone to go to work at nine and come back at five. My dad left on Tuesday mornings and came back on Friday because his business was on the West Coast and we lived in Brigham City, Utah. And... I was very lucky that my mom was also a very strong, dynamic person and very ambitious. And um, later in my life, she actually uh, became very entrepreneurial too. And so I didn't have a chance really as far as uh, entrepreneurship or family business. Um, it was all around me. It was in my DNA. And, and also along the lines of confidence, no one ever told me I couldn't. You know, my parents were amazing in that way. No one ever said or pointed out that I couldn't do whatever I wanted to do, which I think I didn't realize the blessing or, the, you know, how lucky I was to be in a world that that happened. You know, no teacher, no coach, no anyone along the path do I remember taking serious if anybody even told me I couldn't do what I wanted to do. So tell us about your siblings and did they have the same mindset that they could do anything that they just believed in? So I only have one brother. And I think, you know, through different eyes, different things happen. And he, I would say he did not have that same mindset, unfortunately. And every family has different situations. And um, I think he had, might have had that opportunity. But uh, I think life was harder for him, you know, in his situation. So I, I don't think that it, it, in any family, different siblings turn out a bit differently. So let's talk about the fascinating uh, title of the, the first business, Flying J, FJ Management. Teach us about where that came from and the significance it has to your family. Um, if I go way back, you know, I think my dad brought, he, he had such great principles, like treating every employee really, really well. And if you did a deal with someone you wanted to have them as happy as you were, that was truly a good deal. It wasn't about, like, you know, you walk away like, woohoo, I made, you know, I took advantage of them. He, he told me and taught me, and I watched him uh, be very respectful, have integrity, be truthful. Um, he was a tough negotiator, but I saw him uh, treat people fairly, and that has always, that's something that's the very foundation of our businesses. And, you know, not perfect. We have 8,000 employees, and not all those employees may always live by the guiding principles, I would call them, that we have at FJ Management, but, but we strive to do that. And today, their integrity, mutual respect, and excellence are our guiding integrity, principles. Integrity, mutual respect, and excellence. Yes. So when you, in our, in our so-called recruiting crunch during COVID and obviously coming out of COVID, uh, 
the word on the street is that you turned recruiting into attraction. The law of attraction, we don't attract who we want, we attract who we are. So as I've tried to prep for this interview that's been coming for a long time, to ask about what the reputation is on the street, it's one of the most wonderful places to work. People absolutely love to come into the Flying Jays, the Pilots, the, the, the Mavericks, everything that you're involved with as a family Where's an umbrella? So what's your secret? What's what's the law of attraction? Why are you one of the most fun and wonderful places to work? Well, I don't know who paid you to say all these great things, but, um, you know, I, I really do think it comes back to, I hope we have mutual respect throughout our, throughout our companies. And I care deeply for our employees. And I've been in this, and my father did before. I'm a little different than he is probably. I, I'm in find our companies are a little bit different place than they were then. But in general, I really love having employees. I love providing careers. I don't love what happens in our world today where businesses are sold like used cars. And then the people in the wake are the people a lot of times. And I don't want to be one of those companies. And I think people can see that. They see that we are building value to last. That's our mission, right? And that doesn't mean we would never, ever, ever sell a company. It just means that that's not really our intent. Our intent is to grow and get bigger and build an enterprise that gives back. And mostly to, you know, families helping families. We're a family business. We want to help the families that work for us as well as other families in the community. So what's, what's your toughest job, your toughest assignment, your toughest challenge in growth? Is it finding people who are natural leaders uh, how do you know that you can grow as fast as you want based on your, your focus on people? What do you look for? I think that is it is the people, right? Because you've got to find people that are smarter than you are, for sure, who have leadership skills and management skills that you can trust, that are strategic, if you know, or can help you build and grow the way you want to. And it's not easy. I don't know that I can say that I know how to do that. I think that's something continue to learn at least in my case um i saw my dad have home runs in that and have problems right and and i have had the same experience you know you i rely it's not a very sophisticated thing but i rely on my gut a lot you know when i when i meet people and um and i'm extremely trusting too and that's not always good all those things but uh you know i i think that it really does come down to when you're in a business and you're growing it, the people are who are going to help you grow that business yes, in the end. I mean, you can do deals all day long and grow a business. That's true, but a business that gets better and better has got to have great people in it. So is it fair to say that the truck stop business, the oil and gas business is more male-dominated than female-dominated? Yes, for sure. So that leaves perfect answer. So that leads to my question. So did you find it tough to be a woman in a so-called man's world and a man's industry? And if so, how did you battle that to rise to the occasion and rise to the top of the profession of your industry? You know, I did not ever find it that hard. And I was mostly the only woman in the room most all the time. And I, when I was young, and I wasn't in a position of authority, when I first went to work, my first job was buying and selling LPG products, propane and butane, and running our refinery fleet of rail cars. 
which are not, you know, and I, so I would go to conventions, which is where you did a lot of business to meet the other traders, I would say, marketers of LPG products, and there was one other woman that was like 40, and I was 21, right, and, and I, either people felt bad for me or knew how naive I was, but even there, I felt I was treated with respect, but I, I always tried to carry myself with respect, and I didn't try to be a man or try to even be part of a man's world. So if I walked into a meeting and people are talking about Sunday football, I don't follow football. I would just sit back and wait till they're done and the meeting would start, and it was fine. And I, I really think, and I know that's a simple answer, but I just was a woman in a man's world, but I just was myself. And over, that always has worked for me. I know it doesn't work for some women, but for me, that's the best thing I can tell women is just be yourself and do a great job. You know, do you have to work harder? Maybe. You know, do you have to show that you're smart and work harder to gain respect? Maybe. That's probably the case. But that's um, always a good motivator. It is, right? Then you, you know. yeah, I mean, you, but once you do that, I think you get accepted as a person. I don't think you're looked at, I hope, as a man or a woman, you know, as your person. So powerful. So this is probably the first time I will ever uh, share this story on air, but I was a judge of the Miss USA beauty pageant. And judges aren't supposed to talk, but we're kicking each other under the tables, and we'd already decided on who was the winner and who the first runner-up was until the five finalists were put in that, in that sequestered in that soundproof booth, and they were all asked the exact same question. First one comes out who we thought was going to win, and the question was, when is a woman equal to a man? And sadly, she just said, I just want world peace, you know, kind of one of those. And we all rolled our eyes. I'm like, oh, what a drag. And then the second woman was brought out. We had chosen kind of in our own little way to be the first runner-up. When is a woman equal to a man? And she looks right into the camera. She says, a woman is only equal to a man when she acts like a woman. I think I still have the scar in my shin when the guy (laughs) next to me kicks me and goes, and that's just what you said, Crystal. Yeah, it is. So, so ex- explore that just a little bit more from a woman's perspective for every female listening to this podcast who somehow feels maybe intimidated. They have to sell out. They have to be one of the boys or whatever the vernacular, whatever the stereotype is. And I just want you to kind of <laughs> just step up and teach us what, you're, what you just said, but take us a little deeper, maybe a little broader, because that's so powerful, Crystal. That message is so important in our Yeah, I think that, you know, first of all, it starts with you prepare yourself, right? You want to get the education that you can um, and that for whatever position you're in, and you want to work hard. And, and all of us, that's a message for all of us, not just for women. But if you have that in your back pocket as a woman, you're equal to anybody else in the room, and you've got to feel that. You've got to be confident. And, and that's another thing. You've got to just believe. That's probably the number one. You've got to believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, you, you're not going to – no one else is going to believe in you for very long. You might, you might sell somebody for a bit, but in the end, they're not going to believe in you. And, so and to powerful. me, there's a big difference between ego and self-confidence. Mm-hmm. So self-confidence is you feel good about yourself. You feel so good about yourself that you're not going and saying – I did this, or I did that, or you can't believe that, you know, that's not, that's ego. That's, that's not self-confidence to me. That might be lack of self-confidence, in fact. 
So I, I do believe that if, if a woman or a man is prepared in that way, in any situation they get in, if they stick to, I'm going to be myself. I am prepared. I'm not going to be a fake. I'm not going to say things I don't believe. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be thoughtful about what I say. I think all those things very quickly will lead to be respected by respectable people. And I will say, I was taught something by a very a young girl once. I, I have a lot of girls that want women, want me to mentor and talk Absolutely. to them. And this particular day, this woman taught me something. And, you know, she told me of a situation where that wasn't so good for her in a firm of men, right? And she said to me, you know, I had a choice. I could leave that firm and I could find another company. And I thought, you know, that is brilliant because... Women that came before us, when they did get in that situation, they didn't always have an option, right? And so I thought that was brilliant advice. I thought, you know, if women do find them, because I think I have been, I think I've been lucky too. I mean, it's not just how I've carried myself. I mean, that is a lot of it, I think. But women do end up in situations sometimes. But the beauty in today's world is there are companies that don't look at men or women or color or anything, right? They are just all out great companies. I hope we're one of them. Sure. But I think that if more women or people would, instead of sucking it up in some places where they find themselves, they would just go find another company pretty soon. Everybody would have to treat everybody well, right? That's so Because you'd have to have, you wouldn't have employees if you didn't do it because they'd leave if they went. And women shouldn't suck it up. If they're in situations, that's another thing, and they've done prepared themselves, and they, you know, respect themselves. Then, if they're not treated or not promoted, or they need to go find another company because they're out there. I love it. So, so far, what Crystal has taught me, among many many things, is um, you can climb into a, a cockpit of a fighter jet or a bomber in the military. You can climb into the cockpit of a commercial airliner. And you can be male, female, black, brown, white, and the jet does not care. Are you qualified? Are you prepared using your word? Can you push that aircraft to its ultimate capacity and potential that it was built to do? And if not, don't complain. Go get prepared. Don't complain. Do what you need to do. This brings up something interesting. National statistics, my friends, indicate that about 85% of family-owned businesses go bankrupt by the third generation. And when you step back and analyze that, it's because this younger generation has somehow captured or embraced an entitlement mentality instead of an opportunity mentality, and they've refused to subscribe to the core values and ideals that grandpa and grandma used to build the company, to grow the company, sacrifice, work ethic, service before self, taking care of your customers, whatever. And you kept using this word prepared, prepared. So let me just throw something out about my experience with family-owned businesses. So many of the third generation, maybe by the second generation, just expect it to be turned over to them and you have your bachelor's degree from Pepperdine University, you continually prepared yourself to be, to be able to take advantage of a family opportunity, a, a, a solid business, by getting your MBA from Harvard. Talk to us about that mindset, and how did that come about growing up in your family? Did your dad actually say, no, 
here are the criteria. And if you ever want to work in our family businesses, you must know this. You must get this education. You must do this first and then come and talk to me. You know, I would have loved it if he did that for me. I try to be to do a little bit of that for our family without putting pressure on them. It's an interesting situation. But what my dad did, basically all he did is he said, this is my company, and if you want to work here, you'll start at the bottom, you'll make the same pay, and that's fine, but you'll never, it, it's not your company, it's my company. And that was kind of true, but in the end, he, you know, when he, and I knew this, he was going to pass the company to our family, right? But he believed and taught me that the best person who is qualified to run the company should run the company, not a family member. And, and then, not the oldest or the pedigree. Right, not any, there was no, um, there was no pecking order, there was no expectation. In fact, it was almost like the opposite. It was, it was almost like, don't even think that there's, you know, that there's a career here for you. With one exception in my situation, I finished school early in three and a half years, college, and I was looking for a job, no clue how to get a job, no clue. And one day my dad called me and did say, I have a job at Flying J. That was the LPG job I described earlier, and you need to come and take it. And I was grateful, right? I wanted a job. And it was very low in the company, and it taught me a lot. And then I, and, and in that process, I decided that one way to better myself would be to get an MBA. I never thought, I mean, I was, I was the first, my father didn't graduate from college, my mom didn't, my mom's whole side of the family hadn't graduated from college, so just getting an undergraduate degree was one thing. I hadn't really ever thought of a master's, but I was very, but one thing I always did too throughout my life is I always wanted to leave all my doors open. So grades, you know, when I worked at a company, whatever I did, I wanted to do my very best I didn't know what was coming, you know, and I, I still feel that way today, honestly, right? It's like, you, all you have is your reputation, your education, and I, so that's how I ended up prepared for what came to me in 2008. It was a little bit luck. It was a little bit that I just always wanted to be the best I could be at all I did, and, you know, when I went to Harvard Business School, it was because I went to Boston. I visited campus. I said, I have got to come here. I have the opportunity I've got to move to Boston. I've got to leave Utah. This would be so fun in my mid-20s to be able to come here and study. And it was. It was an amazing opportunity. So early on, you mentioned that you trust your gut, your intuition. And we've already established the differences between the natural talents and tendencies of men and women without... I don't know how that's controversial, that we have specific roles or specific strengths... And women are naturally more nurturing. Women naturally listen more. They're compassionate. All of these qualities that we men struggle to, to not just find and discover, but to sustain in our lives and our personalities, personally and professionally. But one thing that I've noticed in my interaction with my beautiful family, my mom, still 94 years old, sharpest attack, my beloved wife, your intuitive talents and abilities take us there crystal on if you can think of an example where you trusted your gut and it turned out to be the best decision in your life maybe you looked at a resume and this he or she did not have really on paper the qualifications but your gut said oh no 
he or she will fit into our culture and they emerged as one of your greatest leaders or managers. Do you have an experience like that? Well, I, I have put a you big experience like that, oh, right, great. in a way, because when Flying J did go into bankruptcy in 2008 and I was really a stay-at-home mom, I was on the board of Flying J, my family should run the company or be involved or be to lead it through bankruptcy and I believed in my gut and my intuition that we had enough assets to pay people back and to save as many jobs as we could and those were my goals and my gut said you can do this and I was a little shy at first about that um, I started working in the company helping where I could and then when the CEO left um, some of the management team who I knew came and said, you should be CEO. And I knew I should be CEO. Was I qualified? Was I, uh, you could argue, I don't know, right? It was an $18 billion in sales company with 11,000 employees. And I'd ran a hotel, kind of, with my husband, shared the responsibility. So, you know, but my gut told me that I could do it and that I should do it. And my husband supported me. My family supported me. And that was a very, very good decision. Absolutely. And if I had just gone... Not just for you and your family, but for the thousands of employees that you impacted generationally. Whoa. But that's probably one of my most, like, gut feel. Because if my brain, if I would have let my brain get in the middle of that decision, it would have been pretty scary to think about what that was really going to entail. Yes, ma'am. So do you have like a, a routine? You've accomplished so much. You're the mother of four children. The formal introduction listed all the boards that you sit on and the influence you've had with the, with the, the Olympic Games coming here and everything that you do with Zions Bank. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. How, how do you fit it all in? What's your routine? How do you, you know, work-life balance is, 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 is unachievable, obviously. It's an either-or proposition, and you seem to have circumvented that and turned it into an either-and proposition. You don't think like a multitasker. You think like a juggler. The juggler only controls the ball in her hand. And once you let go of the ball, you've relinquished control. So you, why worry about it? You just focus in on what you need to do. Teach us about your routine or your mindset. How do you get ready for this amazing day that you say you welcome almost in a variety way because every day is a little bit different, it sounds like. So I think one thing that is, it's a, the only thing routine in my life, really, um, is I work out every single day, seven days a week. Very seldom do I not work out, and that could be yoga or running or, you know, doing a hike. I do some sort of activity when I get up in the morning, always. What time do you get up? It depends. You know, between 5.30 and 7.30 on the weekends, probably. So I'm not, like, up at 3 a.m. or something. But that's super important for me to get that workout in. clears my mind gets me awake, it's my time. And then after that, I play hard, I work hard. I do believe that as you think about a lifetime, that you can't ever have balance until, I always say to people, balance happens over a lifetime. So for me, the things I wanna have balance are my career, my family, and the community. And I didn't give a lot to community when I was raising the kids and working. And now is my opportunity to fill that in but if I, at 85, if I can look back and say, for me, those three things were balanced, I'll be happy. But on any given week or day, 
no chance, right? Absolutely. I mean, there's no way every day that that happens. But, but you catch I the ball and then you yes. put emphasis on and that. And the last point ball. I would make that I think is really super important, picking up on your juggling, is that I don't worry about things. So I don't worry and stew about anything. As best I cannot do that. I just think about what I have to do. You know, it's like not the mistake I made. I learn from my mistakes, I hope, and I carry that forward. But I don't, I try very hard to not worry about things. You know, I try not to worry about my kids or worry about that employee. It doesn't mean that I don't take action about things when I, when it fits in my schedule or what, but I don't, I try really hard to not worry about things. I, I think that's an emotion that is just, it's not so good it helps for you confidence, re right? It helps you refocus your energy so you're not wasting it on, exactly. on, on non-productive things. So... Your reputation on the street is that you you promote from within. That when someone clicks in your organizations across your whole suite of companies, that they believe that it's a more of a career choice. It's not just a stepping stone. They're not just trying to fill the gap where they could find someone or something better. Because I've interviewed so many. And what's your secret? How do you make them feel like that they belong, that they're needed, that they're part of something larger than life. What, which, what's, your, what's your secret sauce in creating this almost unexplainable, I'm putting you on the spot because we're trying to put it into words, but it's a feeling that I matter, that this is, this is the people care about me, that I really matter. How do you, how do you create that? I think it, it's, it goes back to how you treat people, right? I mean, people, I believe, I hope, feel like they can walk in my office. I mean, I hope anybody does, you know, and I I try to be very humble and down to earth as best I can. And I think people do see that. And I think also people see that I have a need. Like, I mean, I, I need help. <laughs> and I think that creates opportunity, right? It's not like, oh, she's got this. She doesn't need me. It's very clear I need people. And I, I have a lot of people around me. And the, uh, what I have found through the years is the more people – who I can trust and take on responsibility, the more I, we all can accomplish. So the right? delegation. And I hope, yes, and I hope, and, I, and you know, I'm not probably as good as I'd like to be about this, but I hope we show acknowledgement and appreciation throughout our organizations for our people, even down to the lowest levels, give them recognition. I mean, we're not perfect, but I certainly strive to do that and hope that if somebody's not that type of employee for us, that they don't last very long. Because I do believe it does take everyone in our organizations. And I, I think that people do feel the commitment. Mm -hmm. I think they, they do realize that we're here for a long time. And, they're, you know, pe some people come and go, right? They move on because they could make more money with some, you know. I don't, we don't keep everybody, but um, I'm at a very uh, happy point right now in, in – where in my executive team, because a few of my executives are retiring, which is a happy moment, right? And the executives coming up have been with us 15, 20 years, and it's exciting, and it's fun, and, and I don't have to go look outside. And, and uh, they know me, they know how I operate, you know, and then, you know, it'll open other opportunities for other people too, and so. What a great leadership, leadership teaching moment where, you already have people in your succession planning pipeline who have learned, who have the same mindset, the same heart set, the same work ethic, 
And so it's just the natural step to take someone's place. Anyone who's in an entrepreneurial position, that's what we need to do is figure out who we can mentor to take our job instead of being insecure like someone's here to take my job. What you're teaching us is, no, we want people to say, someday I want your job. What must I learn? How must I think? What what do I need to do in order to prepare myself using your word to take over? Is that what you're saying? Yes, I, I think that it. is. And I think people should not be shy about expressing to their leaders that they'd like to learn more. And I think if a leader, part of being a great leader is accepting that you want someone to be better than you. That's a great day when someone is better than you are or smarter or whatever that skill set is. It just makes everybody stronger. So let's wind down our time. So I've taught public speaking at the university level for 11 years. I'm a professional speaker, obviously, worked with most of the Fortune 500 companies. Crystal Call Melligan. If you had one hour to live, what would you say to the world? It's okay. We have, we have <laughs> if what would you drive five hours one way to say to somebody for free? Because just getting to know you, and by the way, I promised Josie, your assistant, that I would on the air say she deserves a raise, and you said, "Oh, I've given her a wonderful raise." Well, she should be driving a new truck by Thursday, you know, <laughs> because she basically is you incarnate. She represents you so well. She's classy, sophisticated, elegance, just like you. She's amazing. And she but is. Th- she is the wizard behind the curtain. You're so funny, <laughs> but to, but to your point, it seems that so many people with whom you work, especially in your leadership, higher management positions, they have the same attitude, the same gracious humility that you have. So at some point, everybody wants to know what's your message to the world. There's got to be some secret sauce that's not on your resume. So I I will kind of circle back to something. I just feel I feel extremely strong about and that is self-confidence if I if I could only say give anybody you know five words of advice it would be be confident in yourself for the right reasons right prepare yourself get a good education and work hard and focus on your core values which are integrity mutual respect and excellence excellence. I love that and I would throw on their mutual respect and support through service before self because in my estimation, if I was going to give you a report card, Crystal, it would be that you rose to the top of your industry and profession through service before self. How may I help you. others become better so they leave you saying, I like me best when I'm with you. I want to see you again. Well, thank you. I appreciate you so much. Crystal Call Maligat. I love that Magalette. name. I'm sorry? Magalette. Like I said, Magalette. I said <laughs> I was going to say I love saying that, but I, apparently I love saying it wrong. I am so bad. <laughs> Maglet, Maglet, Maglet. I appreciate your time, and you are one of the busiest, most accomplished human beings I've ever had on this podcast. So thank you, and I, I would hope I could have you back. I, uh, I know you've got some wisdom to share the wor- with the world. And as a closing comment, as a professional speaker, I've discovered, especially when I had that first experience with General Maggie Woodward, understanding the significance of preparation that a man can be a role model to a man, but a woman can be a role model to both a man and a woman because you can get men to do things that other men can't get us to do. That puts you at the top of the hill. That puts you at 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 the head seat in every boardroom. And on behalf of everyone in the Intermountain West who knows about your family businesses and understands a little bit about you, thank you for everything you've done for our community.
thank you for everything, our families and for, uh, for just our lifestyle. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.